0: Well, hello, food fans, and welcome back to The Insatiable Appetite. I am David Emerson fight from the Hartman Group, and I'm here today with Mr. Steve Markinson, Director of Research and Insights at FMI, the Food Industry Association. Uh, as many of you all uh, will know, FMI is headquartered in Arlington, Virginia. Please correct me if I'm wrong, Steve, and works on behalf of uh, the entire food industry, Everyone from retailers and manufacturers and beyond. These are my words, not, not FMIs. And some of that work includes market insights, including the work we do with them at Hartman. We work with them on the their U.S. grocery shopper trends. And before we share some recent findings, Steve, maybe you could, could start with an overview about uh, the trends research program.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and yes, you nailed it perfectly fine Uh, in Arlington, Virginia, and we represent, as we like to say, the food. We are the Food Industry Association, uh, representing the entire food industry and food industry retail specifically. And for almost fifty or just over fifty years, actually, now we've been doing our U.S. grocery shopper trends research and working with you and the Hartman Group for the past ten years and really to help our members understand and the industry understand how shoppers are behaving, where they're shopping, how they're shopping, Um, how much they're spending, how many times they're going to the store, how many times they're shopping online. So we kind of cover the whole gamut of shoppers behaviors and then typically each year we have kind of a focus area depending on what's happening in the industry in which we kind of dive deeper. And as you guys do for us, we do a very comprehensive uh, quantitative survey and we supplement that with some ethnographic research, uh, spending a week with shoppers online and through videos Uh, trying to understand, uh, as I like to say, peel back the layers of the onion and understand what's uh, really going on in their homes and when they're doing the grocery shopping. So it's it's a pretty robust program. Um, Before the pandemic, we used to do it annually. Uh, The pandemic has changed that. And then subsequently, all the other things happening in the industry. So uh, last year, I think we did five waves of the four or five waves of uh, consumer tracking um, to keep track of all the different changes happening in the industry. So it's a very robust program that you guys work very closely with. Us on
0: yeah and there's a lot of um, there's a, there's we, we've done published reports uh, I know the two of us have done some podcasts and webinars in the past as well um, yes published uh, reports podcasts we often do
1: uh, media requests media interviews um, yeah so we really try and uh, share this share this information out with the broader broader uh, industry and the public
0: yeah thanks so um, so like in the past the two of us have shared some highlights from recently published reports, but today maybe it's a bit of a surprise, maybe it's a treat—you uh, know, t- t- take your pick. Uh, we're going to kind of go off script a little bit, and by that I mean we're going to include some and talk about some some things we, we're seeing in recent data from the end of twenty twenty three, beginning of twenty twenty four that hasn't necessarily been published yet, uh, right? So, uh, but to begin with, Steve, you know, I wonder if we could start with a topic which we've published a lot on, we, we've been tracking pretty studiously and reporting on regularly and consistently over the past couple of years, and which is inflation. Uh, so maybe you know, we could begin with, where are we with perceptions of food inflation in the US, and, and what is there to say about that?
1: Yeah, perceptions and reality are two different things, but actually maybe take a, a step back further. As I said, we used to do the survey annually, but uh, when COVID hit, we, uh, I think David, you and I did about 10 waves of research that first year of COVID. Um, <laughs> cer- certainly, certainly impacted uh, shopping behavior in a variety of different ways. Um, and then, of course, with, with COVID and all the demand for uh, in-home uh, in home food, we uh, had a lot of supply chain concerns, so we were tracking some of those behaviors. And then we come to kind of the, the past year and a half or so, to, I guess it's been almost two years now, of, uh, of inflation and understanding how that was impacting consumers. And I think, you know, one, one thing with consumers, the... Uh, there's reality and there's perception, and um, sometimes uh, you know they don't always always go perfectly well together. Um, so we, we've seen a lot of interesting behaviors on on the behalf of shoppers uh, as we've gone through um, the past two years, um, and, and really you know going back almost three years, um, we, you know we saw some inflation in the in the early parts of the pandemic, but um, basically. Uh, shoppers having a lot of lot of concerns about the rising prices, also having enough money to pay for for the food um, that their households had, and and it went beyond just food. Certainly, food for food uh, at grocery stores was uh, definitely uh, an area where shoppers felt it uh, strongly. But they also felt it strongly you know, as we as we've seen in the gas pump, rent. Uh, uh, food from restaurants, clothing, so lots of impacts in terms of consumers' behavior uh, when it comes to uh, – consumers' feelings when it comes to inflation. And it cut, cut across the generations. Um, you know, we saw some of the older generations have been particularly impacted because they tend to be more on fixed income. Uh, some of the younger generations never experienced the inflation like we've had recently, so uh, they, you know, trying to struggle their way through and figure out how uh, how to feed their families. Um, it also cut across uh, uh, income groups. Um, I, think, uh, I think I think I could give uh, the Hartman Group credit for the, the coining the phrase "the theatrics of thrift." I believe it came from you guys, but you know, even the most yeah, affluent. Right,
0: what's that yeah way back when from that was actually from the the earlier from the the financial crisis at the end of uh, like you know 2008 2009 well it, it carried over definitely yeah. now because you know certainly inflation has even impacted some of the the uh,
1: more affluent those you know households with over a hundred hundred thousand um, in income but I mean the reality is that uh, the the dollars have gone up in terms of your weekly grocery spend it's you know and our most recent uh, Survey we did was $154 in December. Um, It it had peaked at $164 about a year ago. Uh, But that's a good, you know, depending on how you look at it and what time frame you look at, a good 25 to even 35% more that shoppers are spending at the grocery store. And even with that, they, you know, they have had to figure out. You know different ways to address these rising prices you know, we see shoppers now shopping around at a lot more banners than they typically have looking for deals they you know a lot of folks only only buying when there's a sale or a deal uh, buying fewer items I, I have this phrase I call you know just-in-time shopping or you know we had pantry loading during the pandemic now we have pantry unloading people kind of you know living uh, more day-to-day with with their uh, pantry uh, the size of their pantries um, but definitely, a lot of folks shopping, a lot of different banners, buying fewer items, um, maybe going more to frozen foods. Frozen foods have done very well. Canned foods, um, we've seen a great insurgence with store brands or private private brand uh, products. Uh, so lots of changes in, in the ways people shop, using loyalty programs. Um, so a lot of lot of different uh, behaviors going on in terms of the who, what, where, and how of uh, how people are shopping. Um, so it's interesting to see as they evolve. Um, the reality is, we just had our, our midwinter conference last week and um, saw a couple economists talking. And, you know, they were talking about, you know, 25% inflation over the past three years when it comes to food. But they were also talking about the fact that um, that uh, wages have gone up also. And wages lagged a little bit behind, so people maybe didn't feel it as, as much as they uh, may have uh, or could have. But um, the reality is, you know, when, you, when you're used to $100, or $120 uh, bill and you, and you the cash register has done check, uh, adding things up and it's $160, $170, it has a psychological impact on folks. And the reality was um, there was actually an interesting uh, uh, data point that we looked at, um, you know, at one point uh, last year. inflation. Wasn't running at 7%, but consumers were asked a question in a survey, and it was more than twice that was their perception of what inflation was. So um, it's, it's a psychological impact, but uh, actually a real impact. So um, definitely impacting consumers in many ways. So, so, David, maybe we can talk a little bit uh, about something we're going to be uh, uh, looking at more so at FMI in the coming year, and that's the use of technology. Uh, chat gbt, uh, more personalization on the behalf of retailers to meet shoppers' needs. Uh, maybe you can uh, share some thoughts on that.
0: yeah, no, thank you. Um, yeah, sort of towards the end of last year, we developed a, a, a new set of questions to ask people about this new sort of thing that's out there and we um, you know we, we asked you Estelle, we we started with a like a brief description of of what this is, and then we said, how familiar are you with?" these um, AI-enabled information and media tools, such as ChatGPT. And what we found is that well less than half said that, that they had ever used them. So in fact, I don't even want to assume that like people listening to this have had direct experience with this, because it's only like a third of people have e- even ever tried it, right? So m- maybe a little context can help. Um, Uh, You know, I I don't want to unfairly characterize this because uh, I think there's lots of ways to describe what this is. But let's say, in general, like, during the past few years, computer scientists have developed a a new set of ways to train computers, and that's led to this large, like, qualitative leap in the capacity for computers to interact with people in creative ways, right? So in roughly November 2022... The general public had its first chance to use one of these new generations of, of tools called Chat GPT, and um, and then in early 2023, if you remember, we saw a number a similar flavor of introductions from from it was Google and with its Bard program, and then from Microsoft uh, added some features as they uh, into Bing, um, and so now it's it's been just about a full year of these tools kind of being out there, and. Um, you know, there's there some differences between these tools and and some of the search engines that have, have been there before. But what we're talking about here is, are the the, uh, the chat-based tools that you can interact with um, based on these large language models. And uh, you know, without describing this in a, in a lot more more detail, like I, I just recently visited Prague and I asked Bard to design a a five-day itinerary for me with with certain requirements, and in like less than ten seconds, I got. A few different responses that gave me some good, helpful ideas. Or you know, you could you could give a large document to ChatGPT that it's never seen before and ask it for a summary with a certain style, and it'll spit it out in seconds. So, uh, so where does where does consumer experience sit with this at the end of 2023? Uh, you know, we found that 24 percent of U.S. adults said they'd never heard of this. Right? <laughs> um, uh, where have they been? <laughs> I, well, I mean, people are. You know, there's a lot of People have a lot of different interests and don't necessarily track this this stuff like we do. Um, another forty-two percent said that they'd heard of it but have never used it. Right, so these are people who are paying attention to the some, some of the same sort of news things as we are, and but they they've they've never, you know, there's they're designed to be to try to get people into them. But you remember early on, it was actually you had to sign up for a waiting list, and um, you know maybe one way or the other, people. Don't believe that they they've they've used it. So that means two thirds say they've never used it. And then for the third that they've said who've used it, that includes there's like 15 percent who have used it just once or twice, and then 12 percent used it more than twice, and another eight percent who say they've used it weekly. So I mean, in fact, if you if you figure within that third uh, having. Um, uh, you know, 8% within that being like regular users. I mean, it's okay. It's a like modest um, uptake for regular usage. Um, that's probably an overestimate in my opinion because the third probably includes people who are a little confused or aspirational about what it is they're doing. But even at face value, this is still like a new cutting edge realm for the overwhelming majority of Americans. This is still like, this is kind of nascent. But for the people who, who, who did use it, we asked them, uh, what, what types of information you've used this for. And, uh, you know, we, we, had, we were interested in what they might use it for for food. And m- meal planning, menu planning, was actually the most common response followed by recipes. Uh, so they're using this for ideas. Like general everyday meal ideas were like the most common. They, they, were, they were way more common than, say, like party food ideas. Um, so it's the more everyday kind of need. And this kind of inspiration was generally more popular than nutrition or diet info, which, you know, you might think, that, well, there's a lot of need for that, and you might ask the computer for that. But, I mean, that kind of suggests that, first of all, food inspiration continues to be an unmet need that American adults feel. And maybe it's the case that Americans don't yet, don't yet trust the quality of the nutrition advice they'd get. Like, well, this computer doesn't know anything about me. But the, but you know they do figure that they would know a good meal idea when they see one, um, and you know I guess another thing that could be going on here is that uh, at least one of the one of the providers that I mentioned you know one of the brands of this uh, uh, large language model enabled AI kind of interface actually suggested hey here are the sorts of things you can do with this and one of the first things that they actually put on the web page was you know ask it for meal you know meal ideas. Because I think that the, the developers uh, sort of intuited that this would be a, a, a relatively helpful application of it or appropriate, and also that this might like make it more more relevant for people. But I think you know as as people use it, they'll understand maybe what what it really is good for. Um, so now that's a that's a new question that we we've asked. Um, but we also kind of got a an update about a related thing, which we first asked about ten years ago. Which it's not AI. But it's about tech enabled customer personalization more generally. So, going back 10 years, now this is like, again, some historical context. Like, some of our listeners are going to remember that retailers were very interested in getting shoppers to sign up for loyalty cards and programs and that sort of thing uh, to be able to deliver like customized offers and in other ways, like leverage data that ties together a shopper's behavior across multiple transactions or even ties it to other activities in their lives. Um, but there was some, cons- some concern. Let's say you know, there was some shopper concern about this being intrusive or creepy, or maybe it's a, a trade-off in their privacy that they might not have wanted to make. And there was press about that going back about 10 years. But, so back in 2014, we asked uh, – I'm consulting the wording that we used here. Um, most companies today want to know about the individual interests and lifestyles of their customers – so they can tailor their information services and products to each customer's personal preferences. In general, do you see such personalization as a good thing? Right. Right. So focusing a bit on the, the benefit there. And in 2014, we found like 60% said yes, and 40% said no. Right. So there was there's a uh, majority were okay with this, or at least they saw the benefit, and 40% were like, no, this is uh, this thing is is not going where I want it to go. So, what happens 10 years later, end of 2023, beginning of 2024, we ask the same question, and that 60% who said yes became 68%, right? While well, the no's dropped from 40 to 32 um, Now, you know, in my opinion, this is no great transformation, <laughs> right? But probably a, a gradual evolution towards greater acceptance of um, or interest in receptivity to personalization. Looking ahead, though, I think we can really expect this to jump um, really quite quickly. And the reason is that the age or generational gradient in the survey responses is really quite dramatic. So like 49% of boomers said no, um, that you know that they, it's not a good thing. Only 16% of Gen Z and millennials said no. So uh, looking ahead, even if no one's opinion changes over the next 10 years, we're going to see acceptance go up. Into the high seventies, right? As um, you know, people age out of the population; the younger people age in into the into it being adults, um, just due to the aging population. So that's not to say that we can uh, throw away privacy concerns. It's just that we'll have an increasingly large audience very quickly that's very receptive um, to the benefits of customization and personalization. And we also asked, like, what would you do? What would you do with this? Uh, like a, a, a personalized digital shopping assistant. So this was a separate sort of question. Like we imagine like, okay, there's a, some kind of customized um, uh, experience, right? So maybe a, a combination of chat GPT kind of ask technology with this personalization thing. Like if you could have a shopping assistant, how would you use this uh, in, in shopping? And by far and away, the most common response had to do with, well, think about it. It's price shopping, getting deals, Right. So that's still, that's still the trade-off, right? Like that was way more uh, interesting to people than um, uh, like assembling a list for them or that kind of thing. So grocery shoppers will tend to see value in this sort of thing if it's delivered as tangible cost savings as opposed to like help with building lists or recipes. And maybe they expect that inspiration is something they can sort of self-customize, but price shopping they can automate, or maybe it's just that they feel they can... They can get inspiration for free, including from places like ChatGPT, right? But like, they're willing to kind of like pay for savings by sharing their personal data, right? Um, So you know, I guess (laughs) this brings us uh, to another set of topics. Maybe it's also this mix of uh, wariness and optimism that consumers might um, uh, attribute to these new technologies maybe building on that this this wariness and optimism like in the nearer term what clues do we have about how just consumers generally feel about going into 2024 uh the, you know the new year ahead of us like what is this you know where is where is sentiment at where are we
1: headed so um based on uh, some of the economists I uh, saw presentations of at our midwinter conference and and just in general just seeing it looks like Um, Inflation is getting under control, so I think psychologically that's a good thing, Um, and it's good for the economy. I think shoppers, unfortunately, think when inflation is under control, sometimes that means deflation, Um, and I'm not sure that's going to happen, at least in, in the general sense, so there's a bit of a psychology that goes on there. But, but in general from our survey in December we found that you know f- for the most part uh, a good, good share of the population is pretty optimistic uh, going into the coming year. Um, you know household finances, their expectations are more likely to see it better than worse um, their ability to buy the food they need um, a little more on the positive side. Um, as we do every year with our New Year's resolutions, everybody thinks their diet and nutrition is going to be better. Um, but a lot of folks saying that they hope to get more enjoyment out of cooking and um, and uh, you know cooking at home. So I think we'll continue to see that. I think we, we've learned some new tricks and techniques uh, as Americans about eating at home. So hopefully that will continue. Um, and I do think you know you brought up the technology. We're going to continue to see uh, the use of technology. Uh, I. It does not appear that folks are flocking to online shopping the way they have in the past. That actually took a bit of a step back in the past year, or at least a leveling off in the past year. So um, I think we're still continuing to see shoppers uh, wanting to go in store. You know, Even if online does increase, we still typically have at least 90% of shoppers going into the store for some of their shopping, so I think that will continue. Um, we, uh, you know, kind of looking across the different departments of the store, um, ex- seafood has had a bit of a rough time with inflation over the past few years. There's some expectations. I've heard that uh, seafood sales will be pretty solid in this coming year. People want to eat healthy, and seafood's a great option, and meat a little bit down. Produce, um, expected to do a little bit better. Frozen foods. I think we've learned some new tricks and um when we used to be stuck at home, we were cooking and spending a lot more time cooking. Now we're s- still cooking at home, but we're looking for quicker ways. and. I think the statistic I saw was, like, 67% of Americans now own an air fryer, and that's, like, <laughs> a dramatic increase. Um, I also saw some uh, how Americans are cooking and they're using their microwaves more than ever. So it's a quick meal at home, not an elaborate uh, from-scratch meal at home. So it'll be interesting to see over the coming year. But I think, uh, in general, um, we, we did that word cloud, David, and I think... Uh, um, what were the, the couple words that really stand out? A hopeful and optimistic and better year and excited. Um, we did have some negative words in there, like anxious and, uh, you know, worried. But uh, I think for the most part, I think people are expecting a little bit better year in 2024. Inflation will be a little bit more under control. And uh, hopefully people will be able to continue to eat healthy as best as they can, so we'll we'll, we'll have to regroup and uh, next January, David, and see uh, how true uh, this all happens to to become.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean i i I saw the same the same uh, uh, sort of comments that you did from the the survey respondents. That um, yeah, hope and optimism is uh, is sort of the top of mind uh, uh, sentiment. And yeah, I mean, I guess to to bring it back around, I mean, I guess the two of us are probably hopeful and optimistic that. Uh, people can can leverage some of this research a lot of that would be f- probably from marrying it to other uh, pieces of information in, in uh, that might be tracked whether it's uh, you know finances or sales and, and things in your own business so it might be helpful to get the actual numbers or even to digest this a little better to kind of see it visually uh, so if if people want more info from FMI including some of the published reports with the, the research that FMI conducts with shoppers and with industry stakeholders uh, could you, uh, like, maybe share the URL, um, and we'll put it in the notes as well? Yep. Um, yep, uh,
1: fmi.org, or www.fmi.org if you want the whole thing. But fmi.org, very short and simple. Um, go to our homepage. We have a special page. If you go to our homepage, you can do the drop-down and find the Trends page. that has our U.S. Grocery Shopper Trends. Um, we also have rotating topics on the homepage that... Uh, Rotate every two weeks in terms of whatever the hot issues are. Um, we also have a blog we do uh, daily from some of our subject matter experts that uh, that goes out. If You can actually sign up for the blog and get it put in your inbox every morning if you're interested in that. Um, and we've got tons of other research. We do about 30 research projects a year. Obviously, we have our trends research. We do a lot of industry research, and we have our whole Power Of series. So lots of information on that page. Um, so I encourage you to, to take a look and... Uh, See what's of interest to you. And you can always reach out to me
0: um, at research at fmi.org if you have any questions. So, okay, thank you. So that's www.fmi.org. So uh, once again, thank you, Steve Marketson of FMI, the Food Industry Association, for today and also you know all the years of collaboration. To our listeners, thanks for listening and watch out ahead for more in 2024. Thank you, David.